0: Good morning, guys. Will you guys please flip to um, the book of Psalms, chapters 119. I'm going to just read a passage before Mike comes up. Psalm 119, we're going to start in verse 45. 119 verses 45, all the way through 52, says, I will speak of your decrees before kings and not be ashamed Sorry, I started in 46, whoops. I'm done. I was just really excited to get to 46, I guess. I will walk freely in an open place because I study your precepts. I will speak of your decrees before kings and not be ashamed. I delight in your commands, which I love. I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and will meditate on your statutes. Remember your word to your servant. You have given me hope through it. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. The arrogant constantly ridicule me, but I do not turn away from your instruction. Lord, I remember your judgments from long ago and find comfort.
1: Thanks, Christian. I told him thank you outside of the mic, but I wanted you to know that I was very thankful, so I set it into the microphone. And thanks for reading verse 45. That's a good one, too. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. I know I said hello from over there, but I want to say hello from over here. It's good to see you guys. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in our study through the Gospel of Mark. And just by way of reminder, uh, most of our community groups have kicked off already. I think there's one community group that's gonna kick off tonight, but all the others have had uh, their first meeting, our first meeting, and I just wanna encourage you guys, if you haven't signed up for a community group yet and you would like to, you're like, oh, I missed, no, you didn't miss out on anything. Just come talk to us. Enrollment is ongoing, and if there's space in a group that you would like to join, we're going to put you in that group and get you going. So um, I know that for my guys' group on Saturdays, we've still got uh, quite a few empty spots. So if you'd like to join that or any of the others, just let me know, and we'll get you guys signed up. Mark chapter 13, we're going to find verse 28 this morning. We'll be picking up there. We kind of looked last week at some already aspects of Jesus' prophetic words uh, regarding some things that the prophet Daniel spoke of in his book of the Bible in the Old Testament. We talked about some imminent destruction of Jerusalem that's about to happen in 70 AD as Jesus has prophesied that uh, all the stones are going to be turned over and not one will be on top of the other at the beginning of this chapter and he continues to describe in, in somewhat vivid detail what it looks like to be under Roman siege And he explains to them that that's going to be a very dark time. And then he speaks also of times that we haven't seen yet in this chapter. We covered all that last week. So for more on that, you'll have to listen to it. But um, the Lord's words, as we got to the end of our text, we, we stopped for a second and noted that they're very encouraging in the midst of something that seems so heavy and so dangerous and so dark. Jesus encourages us that he's returning He encourages us that he will come back, and that's like the highlight of what we looked at last week, is the Son of Man will return with great power and glory, and that promise stands true right now, and it's as true as it ever has been. Amen? It's what we're looking forward to. It's it's what gets me up in the morning. Oh, another day here. Hope Jesus comes back. That's kind of where we're at. We just can't wait to see the Lord. So bearing that in mind— We're going to begin a parable that Jesus wrote in this same section, beginning in verse 28. And he's going to use a fig tree to describe the concept that he wants us to grasp. And something that he's sitting there with four of his disciples looking at Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, teaching them some very important things before the end of his physical life. But before we get there, a little something from the life of Mike. It's currently late January. I don't know if you know that, but it is. And as I walk into my living room this last week, my eyes gaze across the living room, and there on the coffee table is the seed catalog. How many? (laughs) There you are. (laughs) I've got whoop whoops here from Kyrene. So the seed catalog is sitting there on the coffee table. And I love the seed catalog. It's fine. I don't spend a lot of time there. I would rather read history, but there's the seed catalog, and, and, and I, it doesn't have to have my name on it for me to appreciate what it's there for, okay? It doesn't have my name on it. It has my wife's name on it, but I, I appreciate what the seed catalog is there for because I appreciate what it means to most people, but when I see the seed catalog, there's something that's about to happen in my life and if you know, you know, when I see the seed catalog, I see a big metal rack. This big big metal rack at this very moment is in my garage, holding all my stuff. But that metal rack in the very near future and the seed catalog indicates to me that it is very near indeed, (laughs) is going to migrate into my bedroom. Nowhere else in the house, it's gonna be in my bedroom. And when it migrates into my bedroom, it's going to be covered in these little trays filled with dirt. You know, when I was a kid, I got in trouble for bringing dirt into my bedroom. But my wife can do it freely. So these little trays are going to be filled with dirt. And inside each one, you know this already, will be a seed that's been planted and that's going to be grown inside because of where we live. Right? But it's not just that. It's these amazing hyper pink lights (laughs) that are going to be suspended over these seed trays that'll turn my room instead of a place of rest into an active rave party. (laughs) And, you know, and I've had people say this, that we had a home group that's that's met in our house for years and they'll come into my home and, and our bedroom door is shut because I don't want anyone going in there. No young adults are allowed in my room. And they'll be like, dude, what's going on in your room? I'm like, why? They're like, it's glowing red, uh, like <laughs> this pink, pinkish red underneath the door. Like, something's happening in your room. It's not the placement of the metal rack or the color scheme of the grow lights that excites me when I see all of this grace in my room. And I do get excited. I'm talking about it sarcastically, but it does excite me, and, and here's why. It means the season's changing. Praise God, right? (laughs) It means the season's changing. Now, it's not changing as quickly as I'd like it to sometimes, but the seasons are changing, and that means that those plants are going to start to grow, and what's going to happen outside? It's going to get warmer, and my grass will start to grow, and good things happen when my grass grows. I'm really excited about this. You guys, the season's changing, and it's like the antidote to despair. That, that I've learned to love and appreciate rather than seeing something that's invasive and ugly and party-ish in my room. Instead, I see hope. Something's about to change, and I really like what's coming in the summertime and in the spring, but mostly the summertime. It's the antidote to despair when I see those lights begin to glow and those seedlings begin to sprout. Spring is coming, green grass, warm weather, It makes my heart happy just to think about it. And from your whoop-whoops, I think that most of you would agree. In the Middle East, most of the trees are evergreen. But the fig tree is an exception. The fig tree in the fall loses its leaves. And when in the spring, the sap starts to rise in its branches and the tree begins to leaf out, summer can't be far away. And so most of the trees are evergreen, but when you look at the fig tree, it will give you indications of the change of the seasons. All this to set up what Jesus is about to say about the fig tree. Hope is about to spring. We're about to see not just a glimmer of hope, but a reminder that the faithfulness of God will bring about the return of our King. Even though what's happening currently might cause us irritation, even despair, the promise of a new season begets hope. And that's what Jesus is giving to his disciples. In the midst of all these things that are going to happen, he says, you know, if you can look past that, you're going to see something that's really quite exciting, and that's the return of our Savior. So let's look at what Jesus says. Here in Mark chapter 13, verse 28, with the pink grow lights in our minds... Here's what it looks like in the text. Jesus continues teaching and he says this in verse 28. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. Amen? This parable is essentially an antidote for despair. Because when we look at what goes on around us, so many times if we become nearsighted, we will give in to despair. And Jesus doesn't want his church to despair. Despite all that the disciples of Jesus are being told about suffering and persecution, the Son of Man will return. Hope is firmly set in the promise of his return. And he says, just like when you look at this fig tree and you see the buds starting to come, you know that summer's around the corner. You know that my return is near. And so he says, when you look at these things that I've talked to you about, you know that my return is near. Now, the theological wrestling we encounter within this section is found in the proximity of the fulfillment, meaning that because we haven't seen all this fulfilled, it brings up questions. What's he talking about? And here's two questions that I'll just put into this. You could probably come up with more, but two primary questions. When Jesus says that we need to recognize that he is near at the door, who is he speaking to? It's an important question for us to ask. The second is this. After solemnly declaring, truly I tell you, He says, this generation won't pass away until all these things take place. What generation is he speaking of? If you've ever had questions about this, you're like, I've actually kind of wondered that. I trust Jesus, but maybe I just don't understand. Let's look at some, some possible answers for those questions. We know this for certain. Jesus is in no way confused or miscommunicating his thoughts. We know that for sure. And I think that that's important for us to approach Scripture with that remembrance because when we approach Scripture and we need to remember it's always going to be me that's having a hard time comprehending him. God is not miscommunicating. God is not leaving us short of understanding. It's going to be me. It's going to be me struggling to understand what he's saying. If there's any confusion, it's on our part. But it's okay because God loves us and he knows this. There's a pretty clear understanding of what he's saying for both our questions regarding verses 29 and verse 30. The answer to the question about all the events he's spoken of in chapter 13 is simple. If it speaks of the events that would happen during the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., then it certainly speaks to the events of the future. And we see that what Jesus prophesied certainly did in many ways apply to the fall of Jerusalem, which we've seen in history. And if Jesus is saying that he is near Back then, how near is he now? How imminent is his return now? If Jesus is saying that then, he's at the very least just as near now as he was then. And I know you're like, yeah, that makes sense. But I think this helps our understanding of verse 30 in a great way. And our second question it helps us with this as well. What generation is he speaking of? When he says in verse 30, Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. One possible answer is that it applies to his generation, which would fit with the usage of the Greek word for generation, genea. It primarily denotes those descended from a single ancestor, a tribe, a race. Then it comes to signify those born within the same period, a generation of contemporary people. Finally, a period of time occupied by a particular generation, so you're talking about a generation span that we would understand like Gen Z, Gen X, the Millennials, that type of thing. However, if we limit it to that, we're limiting it, I think, in a way that's going to be difficult for us to apply to the whole of what Jesus has said, because we talked about there's some already and there's some not yet in this prophecy. So if you look at the Qumran writings, the term is used often, the last generation, some of the ancient writings of this time. Apparently, It included several lifetimes. If you looked at the way they would use that terminology, their usage indicates that in the New Testament, this last generation, like last hour, which is mentioned in 1 John 2.18, or today means only the last phase in the history of redemption. It's talking about this era of time, this generation we would call the generation of the church that still continues on today. We're the continuation of the book of Acts. The church is still here. Jesus is still at the right hand of the Father. So we continue his work in this generation. But when you think generationally this way, in our Western minds, it gets kind of confusing. Because you're like, that's not how generations work. Well, maybe that's not how we think about it in our time now. But if you look back at Scripture, if you use Scripture as the template for how we view what a generation is, it'll shift the way we view this pretty quickly. According to this interpretation, this generation is the final period before the end, however long that may be. It's a generation of people that are going to continue doing the work of the Lord until his return. It's fascinating. If you look at Scripture in this light, Michael got really excited. He put my slide up there early. You can put it up again, Michael. This, now is the time. When you talk about this in the New Testament, consistently pointing towards the nearness of the end, you start to find a real consistent teaching on this as you look at Romans 13 12 I'll read this for you but I put them up there if you want a screenshot and go check me Romans 13 12 says this the night is nearly over the day is near so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light he's talking about the end again he writes in Philippians 4 5 let your graciousness be known to everyone the Lord is near he's talking about the return of Jesus 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. James chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, you also must be patient, one of our favorite statements. Strengthen your hands because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. It seems if you read through the New Testament that the writers We're expecting Jesus at any moment. They're anticipating his return in their lifetime, and they're warning the church, keep your eyes open. I want you to notice something about this. And we're going to talk about this more in the second section this morning that that Jesus concludes his teaching with. But I, I want to point this out to you. In those examples, and I encourage you to snap a picture of that and go back and read these, how often does this say, stand outside staring at the sky? That watchfulness means that we are doing nothing but staring and waiting as opposed to let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That sounds pretty active to me. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. How is everyone going to experience your graciousness unless you're around them to be gracious to them? The end of all things is near. Be alert and sober minded for prayer. We should be active in prayer. James 5, he says, be patient, strengthen your hearts. He says, don't complain so that you won't be judged. He says, serve one another. Don't complain about each other. Be in community. Be active. Be doing the work that God's put you here to do. Jesus will make that point very strongly in the next section. I think Charles Cranfield said it really well on this account. He says this, if we realize that the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, on the one hand, and the parousia, which is the second advent, that's the second coming. Can I geek out real quick? The parousia is what the Greeks would talk about when a diplomat or a general or even, you know, some kind of a leader from the Romans would come into a city, and the people would go out and meet him and welcome him in. It's what we saw the people do for Jesus when they brought the palm branches out on Palm Sunday, and they welcomed him into Jerusalem. That's the parousia. And so when you see that term, that's what Christians kind of hijacked that term and said, we're going to call that the second coming of Christ. So when you see that, that's, that's our welcoming of the king back for the second coming, okay? So he says, if you have the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension on one hand, and the parousia on the other, belong essentially together and are in a real sense one event, one divine act being held apart only by the mercy of God, who desires to give men opportunity for faith And repentance, then we can see that in a very real sense, the latter is always imminent now that the former has happened. It was and still is true to say that the parousia is at hand, and indeed, this, so far from being an embarrassing mistake on the part either of Jesus or of the early church, is an essential part of the church's faith. Ever since the incarnation, men have been living in the last days. Ever since Jesus came, we have been in the final generation. This type of thinking is difficult for us because of where we've grown up, where we live, and how we think. We're living in a generation of the church that spanned nearly 2,000 years, and it's consistent, however, if you look at biblical material. If you look at how the scriptures speak of it, it makes a lot of sense. The only thing that we struggle with is seeing it through Western eyes. through seeing it through modern eyes. And this is where I call all of us to remember to be students of the word and to remember when it was written. Remember when the scriptures were written. Remember the context of situations. Remember, context matters in the Bible. And we need to be students of that and understand what it's teaching us in light of it. It makes things like this not so difficult at all to understand. In fact, it makes them really encouraging, really exciting. Living in between the first Advent and the second Advent. And Jesus says this in verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That statement is so powerful, especially when you remember that Jesus has not died and risen again yet. He is equalizing the power of his words with God the Father. He's saying everything can pass away, but my words will not. We know this because all throughout the Old Testament, I'll give you one example In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, he says this, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Jesus is equating his word with the word of the Father. In fact, we could go to John chapter 1 and say, actually, he is the word. He is the revelation of everything God has ever done and everything that God has ever said. Jesus is the personification of who God is. Powerful. And when you look at Jesus saying this, he's just reaffirming. He says, everything can pass away, but what I say will never pass away. The words of Jesus are just as sure and permanent as the word of the Father himself. It's because Jesus is God. So he continues in verse 32. Let's complete the chapter, and we'll get into how he describes this afterwards. He says, now concerning that day, verse 32, or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Speaking of his return in verse 32, Jesus reveals that part of the incarnation meant he set aside his omniscience. That's something that some people are like, we kind of get blown away about. Wait, Jesus didn't know everything? Well, he just said, I don't know. But it's amazing to me that he set aside his omniscience for only the Father knows the day and the hour of the return of Christ. A real incarnation for him to be fully man involves such lack of knowledge that he didn't know all those parts. Jesus purposely laid aside temporarily the exercise of his omniscience as part of what was involved in his becoming a man. If you ever want a fascinating study through Scripture, I encourage you to do this. Go back and read through the Gospels and read it through the light of Jesus doesn't know everything that's coming next. It's powerful. explains a lot about the temptation in the wilderness. explains a lot about situations of healings that you see inside of the Gospels. Now, we see times where the Father clearly revealed to him what was going to happen, but Jesus lived as a human being reliant on the Spirit to lead him through his physical life. And that's awesome to me because when it says in Hebrews that he experienced everything that we experienced yet without sin, that he was tempted in every way as we have been tempted, but not sinful, he never gave into it. It means that Jesus knows what it's like to not know everything. He experienced that in his physical life. And even here he says, no one knows the day or the hour. It's only the Father. Jesus would revisit this fact before his ascension in Acts 1, verse 7. He clearly tells the disciples, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority. Because they're like, um, so when are we? And he's like, the Father knows. And then what does the angel tell them right after that? I love that part. Where they're just standing there looking up and Jesus has just ascended and they're just standing there. angel says, what are you standing here for? He's like, He's coming back the same way. You're not going to be able to miss it. What's the angel implying? Get going. You got work to do. According to Jesus, a map of the future would be a hindrance, not a help to faith. Did you catch that? Because I don't like it. I don't know if you guys like that, but I don't like it. Jesus says that a map of the future would be a hindrance, not a help to faith. If you want to grow your faith, you have to trust him when you don't understand or when you don't know. Jesus has not put us in this world to have all the answers. Jesus put us in this world and promised us that he knows. That our Father in heaven knows what's going to happen from the beginning to the end and that true faith means that we are trusting in him every step of the way. Guys, I I just want to I want to ask for you to hold us accountable as a leadership team here at this church. If we ever start walking by physical means and not by faith, would you remind us not to do that? We walk by faith. That means that we're not afraid to put ourselves in positions, as Francis Chan would say, where if the Lord doesn't show up, we'd be in serious trouble. That we're not afraid to step out and to do things for his namesake, for his glory, being good stewards of what he's entrusted to us, but not being afraid to step forward. If we see the Lord doing something, we don't need to ask why. We need to just do what he's doing. We need to, by faith, trust him, and walk with him. I think in a lot of ways, at least this is my experience, I've wanted to have answers before I move my feet. The best things that God has done in my life, he has done by faith when I didn't know what the next step was going to be. The best things. The things that have glorified him the most because I didn't have all the answers. People have come up to me and said, well, how did you know this was going to work out that way? I was like, I didn't. I just felt like it's what God wanted me to do. How many of you could attest to the same thing? I just stepped forward because I felt like this is what God wanted me to do. I didn't have all the answers. We don't need them. We just need to be faithful. And we need to put our faith in him where it belongs The responsibility of the disciples, and thereby our responsibility, is to get busy and do his work without being concerned about a date or a setting, without being concerned about how it's all going to work out. If he had wanted us to be concerned about a date, he would have given it. He says, no man knows the day or the hour, so let's not worry about it. In fact, it's a really good indicator if you're following the wrong person, you know. Lord's coming back on this day at this time. Let's all go sit out in the field. Be like, you guys have fun getting a sunburn. I won't be there. I got work to do. The Lord's got work for me to do. I love the way CFD Mool says it. I just like saying CFD Mool. (laughs) New Testament thought on the last things at its deepest and best always concentrates on what God has already done for men in Christ. Can I say that again? New Testament thought on the last things at its deepest and best always concentrates on what God has already done for men in Christ. It does not say how long will it be before the last whistle blows full time. Rather, it says, where ought I to be to receive the next pass? What what really matters is that the kickoff has already taken place, the game is on, and we have a captain to lead us on to victory. All my football people are like, oh, I can catch that. That makes sense. It's not about when it's going to end. It's about where am I supposed to be on the field? Where has he called me to be on the field? I need to be in position. This is precisely what Jesus directs our attention to in this final section through his admonishment to be alert and to watch. And I mentioned this last week. Last week, I mentioned to you that in this chapter, between verses 5 and 37, Jesus will give us six warning statements that involve being alert, watching, be on your guard. It, these are they're these pay attention statements to his disciples. And here, in verses 33 through 37, we'll find three of those six. So he's trying to get us to pay attention. He's trying to wake us up, make us alert. And he says this, watch, be alert. That's how I knew that. It's right there. For you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, because of that, be alert. Since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, midnight, crowing of the rooster, early in the morning, otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. H.B. Sweet notes on verse 33, If the master himself does not know, the disciples must not only acquiesce in their ignorance, but regard it as a wholesome stimulus to exertion. Don't you love that word usage? I'll say that again. If the master himself does not know, the disciples must not only acquiesce in their ignorance, that means... Submit to that in their ignorance, but regard it as a wholesome stimulus to exertion. In other words, if Jesus doesn't know, and he's told me to be alert and get to work, that's all I need. Stimulus to exertion means that's like my encouragement to get going to start exerting, to start doing the work that he's given me to do. This is exactly what Jesus calls our attention to with the parable of the watchful servants. It has some features from the parable of the talents and parable of the pounds. They're, They're kind of similar in nature. And while God has given to all their work the job of the doorkeeper, he highlights this for the disciples, the job of the doorkeeper, which is thyroros in the Greek. This is important. It's expounded upon as it applies to the disciples present with Jesus and thereby all of us as his disciples today. In the first century, if you wanted to understand the role of thyroros, um, it was considered a really important job. Because this was the person who would prevent unauthorized access and control and control entry into a particular area. Okay, But that's a very simplistic understanding of how it's applied in ancient uh culture and in ancient manuscripts. The term's been associated with various contexts in Greek culture and literature. In the context of the ancient Greek religious practices, the thyroros played a role in performing rituals and ensuring the sanctity of religious spaces. Therefore, this is important, the job of a thyroros in the first century encompassed responsibilities related to security, access, control, and the maintenance of sacred spaces. How does that apply to us? I think it's very simple. The work that God has given us to do is to continue to maintain the work of the church, the purity of following after his word and walking in obedience to him and being light to the world that's around us. Being those who are not at the door keeping people out, we are at the doors welcoming people in. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus saved us, he welcomed us in? That he didn't save us and send us off. That he saves us and welcomes us into fellowship with him. This isn't a watchtower. This is opening a door. This is a welcoming. As noted in verses 26 and 27... Matthew adds in his account in Matthew 24, 31, that there will be a trumpet blast as well. When you think about Jesus's return and it being a very, like, a very noticeable event. Like, you're not going to miss when Jesus comes back. Therefore, being watchful at the door doesn't mean that we're staring, waiting. Maybe I'll miss it. I can't fall asleep. No, no, Matthew even says there's going to be a trumpet blast. You're not going to miss it. Because of the obvious manner in which he will return, the doorkeeper is called to be alert. And the reasoning, I think, is given right here. Look at the text one more time. It's not so that we won't miss the arrival of Jesus. Jesus says, therefore, be alert since you, this is verse 35, you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight, the crowing of the rooster, early in the morning. These are the four watches of the Roman evening. These are the four watches of the night during the Roman period. So Jesus is using, obviously, the situation he's living in and says, all through the night, you don't know when it's going to happen. And notice this, he says, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. Since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, it will be sudden. Don't think speed, think unexpected. Don't think it's going to happen super fast. Think about, this is going to be an unexpected thing. So as his people we ought to be ready in what way sleeping would be not doing what god puts you here to do staying awake would be fulfilling the calling that he has placed you on this earth to do so here's the question what's he going to find us doing when he comes what's interesting about this is the unexpected part of it you know like when you were a kid and mom goes to the grocery store and you're like finally That bag of cookies is mine, right? And she thought she could trust you, but she forgot her purse. (laughs) That's unexpected, right? That's unexpected. What will she find me doing (laughs) when she comes back unexpectedly? Not with great speed because mom's driving, but here's the thing. This is an unexpected return, right? When the Lord comes unexpectedly, what is he going to find us doing, church? What is he going to find us being about? What is he going to find us occupying ourselves with? That's what Jesus is saying here. When he says, be alert, be watchful, be on your guard, he's saying, are you about the work that I put you here to do? And not sleeping or in the cookie jar. It'll be sudden, but don't think speed. those who are expecting his return at any time, those who are truly embracing this, what Jesus is saying, will be vigilant about his work because his return is imminent. Are we about the work of Jesus in this world? Am I fulfilling what he's placed me here to do? Am I wasting the opportunities that I'm being given not only to minister to others, but to enjoy my relationship with God? It's fascinating how many times we'll have this conversation around like, well, I need to get to work. Why? Well, because God has given me things to do. He's prepared good works for me to do in Christ Jesus. But do you ever look at the scriptures as well and see how much we're supposed to enjoy our relationship with God? I'm supposed to actually be enjoying my relationship with the Lord here. In fact, it's really wrong if I'm walking around mopey because I'm having to do all this work and, you know, God's just a big meanie. That misrepresents him. I agree that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I think that that's a powerful statement, Westminster Catechism. I think that that's true. I think that we're supposed to enjoy our relationship with God. I think that when God came for a walk with Adam and Eve in the the, the cool of the afternoon in the Garden of Eden, that, that that was a good thing, that sin is what wrecked it. That he came because he wanted fellowship. He wanted to enjoy that time. And because of Jesus, we have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Are you enjoying your walk with the Lord right now? Is it refreshing you? Do you take time to sit and spend with him and just enjoy his presence? And not feel like you have to perform anything? If scripture reading is a performance, take a break. You're like, calm down. Like... If, if that's become something that's religiosity, I want to encourage you to sit in the presence of the Lord and enjoy Him. He wants to be with you. And you know what? It's going to bring you right back to Scripture. Because I want to know what He has to say. And that's what He's spoken to us. It's going to bring us back to that. But I think sometimes we get so into what I need to be doing, and that's what God's placed me to here to do. Well, that's part of it. But you realize that I don't want any of you doing anything until you've enjoyed the Lord. You guys, seriously, like, thank you, Courtney. That's, that's, it's the truth. Like, I want you guys to enjoy your relationship with him before you do the work. Otherwise, you're, we're going to misrepresent him. We need to enjoy that relationship with God. It's what he created us for. You guys, I, I pray that when he returns, he finds us doing those things. I used to think that when the Lord came back, if Jesus came back in my lifetime, that he would find me doing something, that he would find me working, which is fine. Like, if he finds me working and doing something for him, that's great. But do you know what this last week kind of ministered to me in a whole different way was it would be perfectly okay if he came back and I was just sitting there waiting, spending time with him, praying, seeking his face, not waiting for it to happen and not doing the things I'm supposed to do, it would be okay if I was just sitting there enjoying his presence. And then what do you know? Jesus is here. I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I think it's going to be pretty noticeable. You're like, wow, it's time? I didn't even get through my prayer time. That's great. You guys, to be caught sleeping is to get caught wasting the gifts and talents and wasting the time that he's given us. Don't be time wasters enjoy the presence of the lord enjoy your families enjoy the people that he's put in your life do you know what is good christian fellowship that god loves eating together spending time with one another playing games together that's not all we do but that's something that we do that god has given us as a gift that's okay it's a good thing jesus closes this teaching By extending to all of us this call to be alert beyond the four disciples with him and extends it to everyone. He says, what I say to you, I say to whom? Everyone. Be alert. Be about what God put you here to do. That's the key. I need to be about what God's put me here to do. And that includes enjoying him and doing the work he's given me to do. I love working. I love putting my hands to a task. But I tell you what, I need to make sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons. My why begins with Jesus. And if that ever gets askew, he's right there. He wants to spend that time with you. He wants to recalibrate us. You guys, we live in the shadow of eternity. Day by day, our work has to be completed. We have to live in such a way that it doesn't matter when he comes. Because every day would be fit for him to see me doing what I'm doing. Every day, it should be fit for God to see everything that we're doing. By the way, he sees it anyway, but like the physical presence of Jesus. Like for him to come back and find me doing this would be a really good thing. In fact, then all of our lives will become preparation to meet the king. Everything that I'm doing, it doesn't matter what it is, is preparation to meet him. It's preparation to receive him. Church, can I encourage you? Great. The words of Jesus direct our attention as the doorkeepers to watch for his promise, for his return. Our hope for his return is assured. It's 100% going to happen. He's never broken a promise. He's not going to break this one. Jesus is coming back for us. Jesus is going to return, okay? Now, if it's not my lifetime, great. The dead in Christ will rise first. But you guys... (laughs) By the way, I hope it's creepy. Um, I, I think <laughs> this is the beauty of it, though, you guys. We don't have anything to fear. Because our God loves us. His perfect love has cast out fear. We don't have to be afraid of death itself. Because our king is coming, and he is very much alive. It's going to happen in the Father's timing, but our goal here right now in this moment, is that we would encourage one another because there's one more passage in the New Testament that speaks about the nearness of Jesus' return. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, and this is usually where we guilt you to come to church. But I'm not going to use it for that because the context is broader. And let us not consider one, let us consider one another in order to provoke. Let us consider. Let us not. I said not. There's no not. Let us consider... One another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. What are we supposed to be doing for one another? Encouraging. Encouragement is love spoken. If you want to love one another, encourage one another. In what way? Provoke one another to love and good works. Encourage one another to keep loving, to keep doing the work that God's given us to do. Love spoken is encouragement. Warmth is love felt. When you walk in a building and you're like, whoo, like it here, you're feeling the warmth of God's love in that place. I feel it when I'm here. I feel it when I'm in the midst. By the way, do you want to know the moment I feel it the most? It's not when I'm teaching. It's when I'm up here putting my guitar on because I'm late, and you guys are all talking to each other. That's when I feel that warmth of the love of God, because I can't make you guys like each other. I've tried. James knows that. I've tried to make James like me. It just doesn't work. I'm just kidding. I just saw your face. I was like, I'm going to pick on James. He's right there. No, but like you guys, this is something that the spirit does. This is something that the Holy Spirit is doing in his church. He, he creates this warmth amongst us, this encouragement, this love that it's, it's just, I like you guys even. like I like when you guys come over. I enjoy being around you. And some of you are like, this is weird. It sounds like a shock. Those of you who host a lot know exactly what I'm talking about. It's difficult, but I love it. I love it because we're family. God has given us this amazing relationship with each other, and we're called to encourage one another, and all the more as the day approaches. Every day of our lives, we ought to be more encouraging. So, What you guys have to do is hold me accountable. When I'm 80, I should be more encouraging than I am now, which is like 10 years younger than that. You guys, we ought to become more encouraging, more loving, more uplifting people with every day of our lives, not growing jaded, not growing cold. Our love ought to never grow cold because it is the love of God within us. So church, provoke one another to love and good works. And don't neglect to be together. Not only here on Sundays as we gather as a body, but get together in the homes. Eat eat meals together. Spend time together. Don't neglect that. We need each other. And I'll tell you this, and then I'll close. Worship team, you can come on up. I'll I'll tell you this, and then I'll close it off. How many of you have experienced this, where the thing that you least want to do is the thing you need to do the most? And how many of you, (laughs) there's chuckles all over the room because we all experience this, but how many of you have experienced this part of that? You showed up anyway. You went anyway, and you were incredibly blessed. Where you went to something that I, I really don't feel like going, it's not a good day, the hair's not working, whatever it is. Like, it's just a bad day to be there. But you go anyway, you show up anyway, and the Lord just blesses you through company, through fellowship. through the, That happens to me all the time. It happens to me all the time because I'm way more tired than I ought to be. And so lots of times, I don't want to go and step out, but when I do, when I know the Lord wants me to be there, and I've committed to being there, and I show up, it's amazing to watch him bless and work in that time. Let's show up. Let's be there to encourage one another. Keep pressing into it. It's really tacky, but there really is awesome in the awkward. It's true. God does so many cool things in awkward moments. We need to press into that and continue to love each other in the practical ways. Jesus told us to be about his work. He told us to continue forward until he returns. Let us be watchful. Let us be alert. Let us be awake in this way. Amen? Let me pray over you guys. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you, God, that there is, Lord, such a lack of judgment. Upon what people are going through, I hear conversations, I watch people ministering to each other, and there's there's such a, a unique and special spirit as I see you moving in your people to come alongside one another and walk each other through difficult things. Lord, I pray that we would understand in a deeper way every moment of our lives what Paul wrote in Galatians 6 when he said, Bear one another's burdens. And in doing so, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. The law of Christ that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, to fulfill that command, we must come alongside each other and help carry the weight. And Lord, I pray we would be looking for ways to encourage each other today. Lord, that the words that we speak the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray would honor you because we love you, Lord, because we're seeking to glorify you, and also because we want to see our brothers and sisters, especially in this room, just this morning, we want to see each other grow. We want to keep our brothers and sisters in Christ awake and alert. No better way to do that than linking up arms and taking on the task together. Doing that in community, as you've called us to, over and over again, we're reminded to be unified. Have unity as your church. It's not this lofty concept that can't be achieved. Lord, it's something that, empowered by your spirit, we can be unified. With you as our head, with you as our king, our savior, our leader, the lover of our souls. Teach us to love one another in a deeper way. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would just uh, allow us to think about these things, to go back and read through these scriptures over and again. Lord, I pray especially this morning as it's been heavy on my heart, I pray that every single one of us would have a really sweet time to commune with you, to enjoy you today. Lord, that we would take even a few minutes and enjoy your presence thank you that you're with us that you love us that you want us that you not only love us jesus you like us you made us and you saved us and for all eternity you want to spend time with us jesus thank you thank you for being a god that we can't even describe our language just falls short we just simply say that we love you